All right, well, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we open up. Our Father, we thank you for this day, for this time once again that we can join together to uh, worship you. Um, Today, as we consider your unity, that you are the one true God and that there is no other like you. Um, Though this is something that uh, we all know and affirm, uh, let this reminder still be helpful to us as we prepare to worship you today. And allow us to um, get rid of any idols that may creep into our hearts so that we might be totally committed to you as you so richly deserve. Father, we thank you for your many graces that you have poured out upon us and especially the salvation that you have given us. Um, We thank you for all these things and pray that you would uh, bless us in this time as we consider um, the unity of your being. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, last Sunday we finished out uh, our consideration of various attributes of God that are listed in question seven of our catechism. Um, So I hope all that was clear and helpful to all of you who were here during that time uh, in just thinking about the majesty of the God who created us and who saved us and whom we worship and serve. So today we're going to move to the next question of the catechism, question eight. And we're only going to spend one session looking at this one. Um, This is on the fact that there is only one God. And so I don't think that's something that's especially difficult uh, for any of us to affirm. If it is, um, might need to talk. Um, But it's still something worth studying a bit and and kind of getting, you know, growing in our understanding of... um, And it's important for us to understand why we believe that this is true. So um, just like we've been doing, I want to first ask question seven that we've gone over uh, in the previous six sessions. And uh, y'all respond with the answer. Um, So what is God? God is the spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So now we're adding question eight, the one we're looking at today, which I've written on the board. So if y'all would answer this one. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. All right. So the fact that there is only one God is, is probably the most fundamental truth of the Christian faith. And this was what set the Israelites apart from all the other peoples of the world in their day. Now, we don't really know when polytheistic religions first emerged among mankind. The first reference that we have to other gods in the Bible is found in Genesis 31, 19, which says that Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And it's stated so matter-of-factly there that we can probably assume that having household gods had become a normal practice by this time. And this is retrospectively confirmed by Joshua. In Joshua 24.2, he says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. 
So we know that there was already uh, false religion, worship of other gods by the time of Abraham. Now, various different Jewish and Christian theologians have speculated about whether the wicked people who lived before the flood developed uh, other religions. Um, Genesis 4.26 says, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, John Owen, in his biblical theology, calls this a reformation of the church, but he states that this does not prove that either Cain and his descendants or Seth had actually begun worshiping other gods, just that they had been neglecting the worship of the true God. Now, in the immediate aftermath of the flood, uh, obviously there was no paganism since Noah's family knew the true God and they were the only ones alive. Um, It's possible that other religions began to emerge before the dispersion of Babel while all the families of the earth were still together. Uh, Now, Owen considers this unlikely and he believes that it probably began with the uh, generations after the dispersion. And we can't know for certain, uh, but what we do know is that it had uh, begun before the time of Abraham. So um, Joshua continues there, Joshua 24, verse 3. He says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. So this here is where we have the beginning of the Hebrew people that would lead to the establishment of the Israelite nation. And uh, to them, God revealed himself as the one and only God. He revealed himself to the patriarchs and then later to Moses and to the Israelites in Exodus. Um, We first have an affirmation of the oneness of God in Exodus 15.11. it says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Um, afterwards, when we have the giving of the law, um, that affirms that the people of Israel were only to know one God. Uh, so the law begins with Exodus uh, 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And then we go to Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now on their own, uh, these passages state the superiority of Yahweh over any other so-called gods and prohibit the Israelites from worshiping any other. But on their own, they, don't, they, they do seem to come short of denying the existence of any other gods outright. Uh, However, the fact that there is no other God in existence like Yahweh necessarily follows from what we affirmed earlier in this series, uh, namely the infinitude of God. So by definition, there can only be one infinity, and so there cannot be but one infinite being. Um, Jeremiah 23, 24 asks a rhetorical question, Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And there also cannot be two omnipotent beings because either one can overpower the other and it can't or it can't. And in either case, at least one of them is not omnipotent. So therefore, any other so-called gods, if they exist, they cannot be like Yahweh. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So, uh, now there are in Scripture uh, those who are called gods by title, even by Yahweh. So, Psalm 82 is a well-known example of this. Verse 1 says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. And here he's referring to the kings and judges of men. But verses uh, 2 to 7 following are God speaking. And in verse 6 he says, I said you are God's son of the most high, all of you. So it sounds there like he's affirming the godhood of these kings uh, and judges. However, in verse 7 he continues, Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So however they might be called gods, they're not of the divine essence like Yahweh. And God speaking through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. God alone, Yahweh, the Lord, is eternal. He is infinite. There is no other being like him. And then a chapter later in Isaiah 45, 20 and 21, he says, uh, actually, someone want to read that while I get a drink of water? Isaiah 45. 20 and 21. Sorry, my throat's getting a little dry. Isaiah 40 verses 20 to 21. 45, 20 and 21. Isaiah 45 verses 21, 20 and 21. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivor of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols, and keep on praying to God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who, took, who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God in a state. There is none besides me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the um, result of that is all the gods of the pagans are powerless fabrications. Um, now, uh, the worship of other gods is a consequence of the fall and the resultant sinfulness of man. And Paul explains this in Romans 1, 18 to 23. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what he's saying here is the truth of God is revealed to everyone, uh, not only to those of us who have the Bible, but everyone who can just look at the world around them. He's revealed himself in nature, in creation itself. 
so that everyone in the world is responsible for believing in him. Unbelief, therefore, is not the result of uh, innocent ignorance, but a result of unrighteousness. Um, Sinful men do not want there to be an infinite and omniscient God who knows and will judge them for everything that they do and who has a holy and perfect law that demands perfect obedience to all of its precepts. Instead, they decide to worship the sun, moon, and stars whose light they can hide from or creatures that are weak and can be manipulated and whose laws accommodate their sinful passions. Now, the oneness of God means that we cannot take a pluralistic view of religion. The one God has spoken to us in Scripture about who he is, how he has worked to redeem sinful man, and what we must do in order to partake in this salvation, uh, as well as how we are to worship him. And so all other religions are necessarily false and opposed to him. Psalm 16, 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And then uh, in 1 John 4, 6, the apostle says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are not different truths. There's only one. There's only truth and then there is error. Ephesians 4 uh, verses 4 to 6 says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, If there were multiple gods, what that would mean is that we have a duty to please them all. And so what if they had contrary requirements? Uh, In that case, in our efforts to please one, we might anger another one. Uh, 1 Kings 20 verse 23 says, And all the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. According to their understanding, when they were at war with another nation, they were also at war with that nation's gods. And how scary might it have been to be at war and think that there's a possibility that the gods you serve might be overpowered by the gods of your enemy? It's, uh, it doesn't uh, give a whole lot of confidence. But since there is only one true God, we know that we only have one God that we need to serve. Now, Christ sets the perfect example of what it is to serve and to please God. Um, John four thirty four uh, says, uh, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And Paul exhorts us in this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He says, For this is the will of God at your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So those who do not know God, they can't serve him. Uh, but we who do know him, we can and we must serve him and him alone. And we can only do this by faith. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we must desire him above all things. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And that should be the attitude of every Christian. And so we must therefore be careful not to set up any idols in the place of God. The second commandment in Exodus 20, verse 5, says that God is a jealous God. And it may be easy for us to abstain from worshiping the sun or carved images and things like that, but we can worship a lot of other things. Um, can someone go to 2 Timothy 3 and read verses 2 to 5, please? So, lovers of self, lovers of money, uh, the lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Um, and these are all idolaters, that, and, and these are all things that are very easy for us to become as well. He says to avoid such people, and if we're to avoid such people, then it's obvious much more that we must not be such people. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19, For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And even innocent things can become idols. Your hobby can become an idol. Even your, uh, your family, your uh, spouse and children can become an idol. Your reputation can become an idol. And even Bible reading and the study of theology can become an idol if we start to place our assurance of salvation in those things rather than in the God who is supposed to be revealed to us by those things. Um, And since there is one God, another thing that that means is that all of us who are God's people should be united as one in him. Now, Roman Catholics often accuse Protestants of disunity, and they like to uh, peddle this absurd claim that there are 40,000 different Protestant denominations. Uh, Just to note, if you hear that, whoever came up with that figure included a bunch of organizations, I think around 100, that are actually affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. And then it also includes, like, Christian radio stations and stuff. So that should give you some idea of how inflated that number is. Um... And then, of course, there are many so-called churches that are just heretical. And Scripture warns us that that, that would be the case. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 2 Timothy uh, 3, Jude 4 all, all speak of uh, the fact that there will be heresy. Uh, but nevertheless, we do have to face the reality that there are many different denominations of churches. Um, Now, for those of us who hold to congregational polity, that's not really an issue because we hold that what makes a church a true church is 
having members who believe the true gospel and worship God uh, truly uh, in spirit and truth, and, and so not by whether it's affiliated with the right denomination. Uh, and even most denominations um, that do have a more you know, hierarchical government structure are not so exclusive as to teach that only churches in their denomination are true churches. I mean, I work at a Presbyterian seminary, and several of our members are current or former students of that seminary, um, even though we're all Baptists. Uh, and then e- even that seminary itself, even though it's Presbyterian in doctrine, it chose to be independent rather than being governed by a specific denomination. Uh, also, if you look at many evangelical conferences, you think like the, Sh- the Founders Conference, the Shepherds Conference, G3, etc., the speakers at those conferences represent many different denominations, uh, and some are not even affiliated with any denomination at all. Um, and I loved hearing Joel Beakey and Ligon Duncan preach at our Deep South Founders Conference in recent years. So it is clear that despite the fact that there are many different denominations, we do still have a lot of unity uh, besides that. But even then... Among churches that we would agree are true churches, there is a great deal of difference in doctrine. And this isn't a good thing because of what I mentioned earlier, that there are not different truths. There's, there's truth and there's error. And so when two churches disagree on some doctrine, then at least one of them must be wrong. And we understand this, and it tends to result in a great deal of arguing. Now... While it's good to study all of Scripture and to always be growing in knowledge of what the Scriptures have to teach us, we also need to understand that Christians are commanded to be united. And so when we recognize that another church is still a true church despite differences in doctrine, um, then as long as we are agreed on the, the essentials of the Christian faith, we must not allow those disagreements to prevent us from having unity with each other. Um, David said in Psalm 113, or 133, 1, Behold how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. And then Jesus prayed for the unity of his people in John 17, 21. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, the early church had this unity. Acts uh, 4.32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said uh, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now Paul uh, affirms all this, and he exhorts us uh, to this in multiple places. Uh, in Romans 12.4 and 5, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Uh, And then in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He speaks further uh, on this at greater lengths in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Ephesians 4. Um, and another, another one I do want to read, Philippians 1.27 says, 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then also, besides Paul uh, and Jesus, Peter also gives this exhortation. First uh, Peter 3, 8, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Um, from all this, I mean, we can see that uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on unity uh, in the body of Christ. The people of God are to be united, and this is a very important thing. Um, and since there is only one God, we also need to make sure that he is, in fact, our God. So remember Paul's point in Romans eight thirty one. He asks, "What then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us?" Psalm one eighteen five to nine. The psalmist says, "Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side; I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me." It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Um, We need to make sure that God is on our side, that we are in him, that we believe in him. And um, we can be confident then since Yahweh alone is God. If we are, if he is on our side, if we are on his side, that he will protect us and that he will overcome all of our enemies. And so we need to uh, trust only in him, make sure that we do not put any other things in place of him. And finally, we should rejoice that this God has chosen to reveal himself savingly to us. Uh, As Paul says in Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the reason we are here today is because God has called us together to be united as one body in him. Um, He saved us from our sins, and now we have fellowship with him in Christ. And so as we go in the next hour to worship him together, let's uh, be thankful to him for all of these things. Um, And so this, uh, as I said, it's probably going to be a little short. We, um, there's a lot, a lot to be said in scripture about that there is but one God. Um, next week we'll start looking at the Trinity because, of course, uh, looking understanding how God is one being but also subsists in three persons. That's uh, worth a lot of consideration. And uh, again, Scripture has a lot to say about that. And it's also something that we have a harder time wrapping our, our minds around. So we'll spend, I'm planning on spending three weeks on that and then uh Dirk will be starting the next session uh next section of the catechism after that um so does anybody have have any comments or questions anything about uh this just the point that there is only one god um, 
Yeah. Yeah, great. Or um, at points of application are yeah. great. And thanks to help us thinkers. Uh, I really love thinking about their son lecture pointing out um, how God can unity and how there's only one true God mm-hmm. is to produce a catholicity, a universality to the church, mm-hmm. and a love for brethren, not only locally, but internationally. Um, so, how about this? Um, so, for those who come to prayer meeting, y'all know that we pray for various missionaries. Not all those missionaries are hold to our same confession of faith, right? Um, how can we do that unless we believe that they actually hold to the one true God that we also worship? Uh, you know, Bonnie, uh, uh, Evan and Bonnie, you know, they're Presbyterian, right? But we love them. They believe the same gospel that we do, and we're able to support them financially and pray for them. Not because they're trying to build churches just like ours, they're not. They're actually trying to build those dastardly uh, Presbyterian churches. But we still love those churches, and we still love that work. And so we can actually give ourselves, not because they believe exactly like us and every jot and tittle of theology, but they actually worship the same God through the same Christ. By the same spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. They believe in the one true God and how it comes through, through this cross. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, just helps us, spurs on even more so to pray for our brothers and sisters who are evangelizing and for our sister churches around here who aren't in, with us, in agreement with us in every job and tittle, but that we can actually pray for because we have the same God. Mm-hmm. That's just cool. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yep. I'm not sure I understood you right, but at one point you said that if you had two denominations, um, it was something about one had to be true and one wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact context. Um, but sometimes you can have two groups proclaiming something mm-hmm. on the surface, and both of them are totally wrong in the end. We have to. Uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's up to us to do due diligence and search out as what they're really doing. You can have, there's, uh, I've used this example many times, there is a church in Half Moon Bay, California, and on the sign out front it says Baptist, and underneath it says confessional, and the lady who's in charge, the preacher, and her wife, so hmm. if you look at the outside, the picture says, oh, that's a church where you would think we would want to be a part of mm-hmm. until you open the doors. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was to me. <laughs> I, I'm curious. And then I opened my big mouth and said, oh, you're gay. <laughs> I, I'm curious what they mean by the word confessional in that case. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, but it's besides, well, like, from 100 years ago, and they've never changed. Yeah. Way. That's well, and that's a, that's true of a lot of historic well, churches that were, you know, we're assuming um, that one is truly a true church of God, and the other one is out there. Yeah. Sometimes on the surface, they everything looks copacetic, and yeah. it's up to us as individuals to dig into the dirt and find out what's really going on. Yeah. Well, and 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 again, that's that's like what I was saying. We we judge whether a church is a true church or not. Based on the the members and their practice and their doctrine, not 
you know, who they're affiliated with or, or, you know, what they call themselves. I mean, even if you look at the Southern Baptist Convention, I know there are false churches that are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, even though there have been, you know, some efforts to help remedy that. And even, even like some of the more, you know, strictly confessional denominations like the PCA and OPC and stuff, they probably have some false churches in their midst just because it's humans and humans are capable of, of neglecting things and letting that kind of thing happen. Um, anyone else? All right. Um, uh, Mike, would you close in prayer, please? Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is that we can freely gather here this morning to study your word. Thank you for the teacher you have chosen to bring us this word this morning. We ask now that you will just search our hearts. Just prepare us, Lord, to, as we go to our service this morning, that we be ready to worship, honor, and glorify you. So unworthy we are, Lord. So unworthy. Set our hearts to focus strictly on you. Let's go in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.